Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. We are getting ready to step into a very important sermon series here at the Gospel House. Uh, I think that this is going to be an important sermon series for our church body. Uh, I think this is an important sermon series for everybody. Uh, This sermon series is called Implications, uh, and it is, it's one of those things when God first breathed into Jana and I to start a church, uh, it, this is one of those sermon series that was at the very beginning uh, that, that I knew I needed to get out there uh, because it's something that changed my life, uh, and I think that it's something that will change the world if enough Christians grab a hold of this. And so uh, that's, that's the start of it. And it really is all birthed from uh, this quote that I heard once. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, he has a quote of what a definition of a disciple is. And the first time I heard this quote, it kind of hit me just because it's different from what I've heard anybody else say. Uh, some of you have heard me teach on this before, but this is his definition of a disciple. He says, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who applies the implications of the gospel to every facet of his or her life. And I love that definition. See, lots of times we get these definitions of what it is to be a disciple, and you say that, you know, if you're a disciple of Christ, you know, it's somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus. But that's a weak definition, in my opinion. We say, you know, it's somebody who follows Jesus. Well, you know, the problem that I have is that I can follow Jesus real close, but then I can also follow him at an arm's length, right? And that's the danger that we have. I can't apply the implications of the gospel to my life at an arm's length, right? I'm either living out the gospel or I'm not. And so the goal as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to apply those implications of the gospel to every single area of your life. Are your finances run by the implications of the gospel? Is the way that you forgive others run through the implications of the gospel? Do you have the implications of this gospel of Jesus Christ in mind every step of every day, every moment? That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I love this definition because it gives me no wiggle room. Can I be real honest with y'all? I'm going to be anyway. When I have wiggle room, I use it. Anybody in that boat? right? Sometimes, you know, we intentionally give ourselves wiggle room so that we can use it. In my walk with Jesus, though, I don't want wiggle room. That's one thing. God has been tightening these screws on me for up, up to Easter and, and afterwards. Jeremy, you've got to get real. Jeremy, you've got to get serious. This, this walking halfway in, halfway out, this applying the implications of the gospel to this stuff while not to this stuff, it ends, Jeremy. 
it ends. I've got to give him all of me, and I've got to imply the implications of this glorious gospel to every part of my life. See, you guys remember those bracelets that were super popular like in the 90s, what would Jesus do? See, when we apply the implications of the gospel, it's not what would Jesus do. It's what did Jesus do. It's an active question. And based on what he's already done, how does that change how I approach a situation? How does that impact me? It's asking, what is Jesus doing currently, right? We talked about this on Easter. It's the whole point of the resurrection. We serve a living Savior, The whole point of the Holy Spirit falling on the church on the day of Pentecost is that God is still among us. He's still working. So it's not what would Jesus do. It's what is he doing right now? And how can I come alongside what he's doing? Jesus is alive. We talked about that last week. But the question for the Christian is, does that impact your daily life? Or does it just impact where you go between 9.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings? Right? Does the fact that Jesus Christ is alive, that he is living, that you have the Holy Spirit leading you, does it impact your daily life? So we actually start where we ended last week. Last week we picked up 1 Corinthians 15. We went through that beginning part. It's one of the best chapters on the resurrection. And now we're picking up where we left off there. The title of this message today is The Gospel I Preach to You. And this is Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 15. It's what he opens the entire chapter. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. So today, before we go too deep into the implications of this gospel, we're going to talk about what the gospel is and what it isn't. So you get get these pastors who are on a real kick. They, They get on these gospel kicks, right? And they say, everything is the gospel. Everything. Everything's the gospel. I love the zeal, but it's not. David slayed Goliath. That's not the gospel. Amen? You guys know this, right? Okay, everything in the Bible is not the gospel. Everything in life is not the gospel. But everything in the Bible points to the gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the greatest secret to unlocking Scripture. If you've never read your Bible through this lens before, I would highly suggest you do it. This is the thing that I did that changed my life. If I go back and I look at like benchmarks of my Christian faith and like what, what just like steroids to my Christian faith, going back through the Bible and reading it and asking myself every single day, how does this connect to the gospel? It changed my walk with Jesus completely because it made me see the entire Bible through a whole new lens. And that's what we have to do. That's how we unlock the truth of Scripture. See, fact of the matter is, this isn't popular today. Scripture is not about what, how it makes you feel. You know, I'm going to go through the Bible and, and, and find the parts that really make me feel. How does it make me feel, right? It's not about finding what Scripture means to you. 
It's not about how you can apply the lessons which you learn in Scripture. Look, you can do all that stuff with Scripture, but ladies and gentlemen, the reason this book was written is to point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This whole book is about Jesus. Stop trying to make it about you. Look, I can go through the Bible, and the Holy Spirit can speak to me and tell me whether I send my kids to, to public school, whether I homeschool them, whether I send them to Christian school. I can do that. Okay, God will speak to me. That's not what this book is about, right? So while the Bible does help you make life decisions, while God speaks to you on those things, this book is about so much more. Everything in it points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the crazy thing is, as we learn to point these scripture stories back to the gospel, we also start to see how we point our very lives to the gospel. If you can connect every story you read in here to the gospel, I promise you, you are that close to connecting everything in your life to the gospel. And that's what we want to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. So today, in this gospel that I preach to you, we're going to look at what the gospel is, we're going to look at what the gospel requires, and then we're going to look at what the gospel promises. So first, the gospel is, and this actually comes in two parts. You thought it was a nice three-point sermon. It's actually one, two, three, four, five, five points. The gospel is, now there is a physical reality to what the gospel is, and there is a spiritual reality to what the gospel is. And we have to have both. First, there is a physical reality to what the gospel is, and this is what Paul opens. This is what we talked about last week on Easter Sunday. This is what Paul opens in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 3 through 4 say this, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the physical reality of the gospel. Now, we hammered this last week, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. But Jesus Christ was a real man. Jesus Christ existed. He was born. The virgin birth, all of it. He lived. He taught his teachings. All of it. The physical reality of the gospel. Jesus Christ died. He was nailed to a cross. Jesus Christ was buried in the tomb. He was there for three days. And on that third day, he rose again. The tomb physically stands empty. His body gone. Only to appear again to his disciples who physically walked with him, ate with him, touched him. There is a physical part to the gospel. This is what actually happened. And we, like we went over last week for Easter, there is overwhelming evidence that this happened that this is true, that the, the resurrection, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a historical event. But there's also a spiritual reality to the gospel. And we have to hammer this down. There's this super interesting, I'm going to jump to what seems like an obscure passage, but it connects, I promise. There's, there's this story that Jesus actually tells while he's still alive. It's familiar to some of us, but it's a story of Lazarus and the rich man right? This, this rich man, he's kind of a jerk while he lives on earth. Lazarus is his servant. Lazarus suffers, 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 or I'm sorry, Lazarus is a beggar, 
um, and, you know, suffers from these painful sores, leprosy, all that stuff. So the, the, they both die. The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom, heaven. So, so you know, they, they separate. While they are there, so, you know, the, the story plays out. This rich man begs Abraham, Father Abraham, please, could you just send my servant Lazarus? with just a drop of water on his finger that he might dip it on my tongue. I've always found it interesting. The rich man never asks to get out of hell. Has anybody ever noticed that? C.S. Lewis has a quote when he talks about hell. He says that uh, the doors to hell are locked from the inside. You will never find a soul in hell asking to get out because their pride won't let them. Find, I think that's super interesting because it goes against what we culturally think. How could a loving God send people to hell? Hell, hell is of your own choosing. It's, it's of your own choosing, and the doors to hell are locked from the inside. You choose to keep those doors locked. The rich man never asks Abraham to get him out. He's content staying there, but he wants Lazarus to come to him. And he, Abraham answers and says, hey, the chasm between you and us is far too wide. It can't be crossed. So then the rich man gets into a, a different argument altogether. He says, okay, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Again, he doesn't ask to get out, but he says, but go to my family. Can, can, can somebody go to my family and warn them of what's going on? And that's, that's where we pick up the story here in verse 27. It says, and he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear from them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, here it is, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. It's an absolutely incredible foreshadow that Jesus gives us into his own death and resurrection, and possibly even a better foreshadow into the stubbornness and the hardness of the human heart, that even after Jesus' resurrection, there will still be some who will never believe. But it also gives us important insight into the realities of the gospel, it is not enough to just believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. You know, we like to do formulas in Christianity, right? So we get the Romans road, you know, and you get to, you get to Romans. So what, what do you have to do to be saved, right? Believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Proclaim with your mouth that he is Lord, and you will be saved. That's the formula, right? But the problem is, and Jesus tells us right here, there is a spiritual reality that we have to understand. It's not good enough to just believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You've got to understand why he rose from the dead, which is what Moses and the law and the prophets lay out for us. It tells us, and, and the Old Testament tells us, a Messiah will come. Jesus loves us so much that even though we broke the law, a Messiah will come who will pay the way for us, who will make our relationship with God right again, even though we broke it. But it also tells us we broke it, right? We've, we've talked about this a lot, but these are the two sides 
of the gospel. The gospel isn't just what Jesus did. It's why Jesus had to do it. That's what we learn from Moses and the prophets. This is where it goes back to that. We've got to understand who Jesus is as Savior, right? If, if I'm not broken, I don't need a Savior. But the gospel tells us that we are woefully broken. Woefully broken. And the only way we can be put back together is by the Son of God coming and putting us back together. There's this nasty lie going around, and it's going around pretty prominent Christian churches that we don't need to preach the Old Testament anymore. That since Jesus came and took care of the Old Testament, we don't, we don't have to deal with that anymore. We don't teach it, we don't preach it, we, we leave it where it is. But that contradicts exactly what Jesus is teaching here. You have to know the law and the prophets. Because the law and the prophets tell you what the problem is. The gospel starts with the Old Testament, with Moses and the prophets. It tells us what God's law is, that we serve a holy God who has a holy law that he expects us to live up to, and that on our own we couldn't do it. And it tells us that God will make a way for us to live up to that law. But we have to start there if we're going to believe in the true gospel. Anything else, any other gospel you hear that is just New Testament, it's a lie. Now look, you, you want to gloss it? Well, sure, let's gloss it. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. It's not a lie. It's a half-truth, right? But a half-truth is still a lie. We have to preach. We have to teach the whole gospel. And ladies and gentlemen, you know, we talked about this passage from Galatians 1 yesterday. Well, as Paul says, Paul says, he says, if anybody comes to you and preaches a gospel other than what you heard from the beginning, this gospel, let him be accursed. There's a lot of teachers out there, ladies and gentlemen, who've got a heavy weight hanging over them. And I hope that the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them. Because if you preach a false gospel, if you lead others into a false gospel, I don't want that on my head. I don't want to get to God's judgment seat and have that over me. We have got to learn as Christians what the true gospel is and what it's not. And we've got to run from what it's not and cling to what it is. Look at Paul, how Paul starts this back half where we started today, 1 Corinthians 15. We didn't get to this last week. He says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Yes, the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came to mend the relationship between us and God. But we have to preach why that relationship needed mending. We have to preach both sides of this gospel. The gospel is the forgiveness of all sins. The gospel is the fulfillment of all scripture. And the gospel is the very power of God living in us, helping us to walk 
in this perfect law. Look at this last verse. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Ladies and gentlemen, you are alive. The question is, are you alive in Adam or are you alive in Christ? Can I tell you the problem, church? We've got a lot of Christians walking around today who are alive in Adam. And we make it look like we got it all together. We make it look like everything's going on, and we yell really loud so it sounds like the Holy Spirit's moving. You know, we do all sorts of crazy stuff so that it looks good. But man, we've never been more alive in Adam. But when God causes you to become alive, the Holy Spirit comes into the scene, and he makes you alive, then you're alive in Christ. But when you're alive in Christ, what happens to Adam? What's Paul say? He's got to die, right? And unfortunately, this is the gospel that does not get preached, because the gospel has a requirement. There is something the gospel requires of us. It's interesting, we, we twist Jesus' words on the cross, just like a crown of thorns. Oh, see that imagery? You twist it. Right? But when Jesus says, it is finished, we kick off our shoes, we put on our, sand, or our slippers, kick our feet up in the lazy boy, and say, ah, Jesus paid it all, I can just sit back and relax. But that's not what the gospel says. There is a requirement that the gospel has on you, that the gospel calls you to. See, we live in a world of cheap grace, lazy boy Christianity. Jesus said it is finished, so I don't have to do anything. Do you know why they call it cheap grace? Because it's cheap, right? It's in the title. So can I warn you what cheap grace looks like? Cheap grace is a gospel that doesn't require anything of you. It costs you nothing, right? It's completely cheap. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the real gospel of Jesus Christ requires everything from you. Paul says this, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, this is Paul speaking. He wrote half of the books in the New Testament. I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does that profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company cor corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? You fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. You know, I really love Paul. He's, he's, 
probably of all of the books in the Bible, he's one of my favorite writers, because Paul and I, we're just, we're on the same vein, you know, he's got this sarcasm that comes out every once in a while, and I love this, right? Some will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body? And what's Paul's answer? You idiot. Be quiet. Stop. But that's exactly what we do, isn't it? I, I'll be honest with you. That's what I do, right? Like a fool. Jesus tells me exactly what the gospel is going to cost me. So what do I do? Well, yeah, but Jesus, what kind of body am I going to come back with in the afterlife? Jesus, what, what like, in, so in Revelation... There's the time and half a time and then a time. So that means, what is today? April 24th. You should be coming back on April 26th. Is that right, Jesus? Right? We find all of these crazy things to fight about and to talk about and to argue about so that we don't have to pay attention to what Jesus is actually asking us to do. And Paul says, you fools. Who cares? Don't miss it. You die. What you come back as, it doesn't matter anymore. Because guess what? You're dead. Right? You know, I, I always find it a little funny with like, you know, when we have funerals and stuff like that, people who, you know, you're cremated, you're buried, like all that stuff. My funeral is going to be pretty easy. What, what do you want done with your body? I don't care. I don't care. Because guess what? I'm dead. But I'm dead now. Made alive in Christ. So what you do to this mortal frame, I don't care. All I care about is how he chooses to bring me back. But guess what? He doesn't choose to bring me back unless I live in him now. Which means there has to be a death. What does the gospel require of you? Death. That doesn't preach well. Right? You're not going to have a whole lot of response to your altars when you preach like that. But guys, this is Scripture 101. All through the Bible. God and sin can't coexist. They don't. Look at what Paul says in verses 33 and 34. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. Guys, if you are walking in the Spirit, you cannot sin. I will fight anybody over that. You can't. The Holy Spirit will never lead you into sin. So if you're walking with Him, you cannot sin. When do you sin? When you step out of the Spirit and start walking in that old man again. Right? Walk in the Spirit. Paul says this in Galatians. Walk in the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of your flesh. We, we know this. Anybody who's walked knows this. There are always this war is going on between the flesh and the Spirit. 
and I am always being pulled to step back into my flesh and to let that person have it because, doggone it, they deserve it, and I deserve better. But that's not what the gospel says. That's not where the Spirit leads. And so the answer to this is that we have to walk in the Spirit. And do you know what the requirement to walking in the Spirit is? You die, he lives. You know, this isn't like, Jesus, take the wheel, right? When I get in the pickle, I throw up my hands and say, Jesus, you got to take the wheel because I'm screwed now. I can't do it. That's not how this works. And, and I'm sorry, but, but this is where modern Christianity has led us today. We, we, we're in this, this pickle, this weird place where it's like, hey, you know, you do the things you do really well and do them for God. And then the things that you stink at, that's what we rely on the Spirit for, right? You want to see miracles? Yeah, then walk in the Spirit. But for everyday life, you just, you do you, and, you know, he'll, he'll pretty much leave you alone. You know how to run your business. You know how to do your job. You do that stuff. God will come in and do the other stuff. That's not scriptural. I'm sorry. That's not the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, go through and look at the heroes of the faith. Look at these people that, that serve God and that do his will. Every single one of them. What, what empowers them is that every moment of every day, they are in the Spirit. They're doing things God's way. They are not theirs anymore, but they belong to God. In fact, every single one of those people, now this is the great thing about the Bible, you know, all of those heroes of the faith, they're not heroes, Right? Every single person in the Bible except Jesus has a blemish in their resume. And every single blemish comes when they step out of the Spirit and start walking in the flesh. So what's the moral we get from this? That you do your best and that God will cover the bald spots? No! It's that stop doing you at all. Step into the Spirit. Walk every moment of every day in the Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, I, I've mentioned this before, but it's a great sermon. It is a great sermon. It's written in Old English, so you've got to get past that first. But he has a sermon, and the sermon is titled, God is Most Glorified in Man's Dependence Upon Him. They had really long sermon titles back then. But the good news is, based on that sermon title, you know what the whole sermon's about, right? And what a great summary of my life. God is most glorified in Jeremy's dependence upon him. Y'all, I want to bring glory to God. So that does not mean that I do things really well in my power, hey, God, there's glory. It means that I stay completely dependent upon him. Every moment of every day. You know, it's interesting because Paul's language, when he says to walk in the Spirit, he doesn't, he doesn't say to run in the Spirit, right? He doesn't say to throw a javelin in the Spirit. He doesn't say to do a high jump in the Spirit or hurdles in the Spirit, right? He doesn't say these crazy, wacky cartwheels, aerobics, anything like that. He says walk. How many of you know how to walk? Right? 
Paul is stripping it all the way back and saying, hey, you know how to walk, but don't walk in your power. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of your flesh. Every moment of every day, I must die daily. Just like Paul says, I must die daily so that he can live in me in every area of life, every facet. This is the implication of the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ will cost you everything. Guys, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. If you want to follow Jesus, it will cost you everything. Absolutely everything. Jesus tells us to count the cost before we sign on that dotted line. We've got a lot of Christians running around, just give your heart to the Lord because we need those numbers. Just give your heart to the Lord. Yeah, we'll talk about what's required of you after this. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, count the cost before you build this building and get to the end and find out you don't have enough money to finish it. Count the cost before you go out to battle this army and get there and realize your troops can't take these troops, but you're already in too deep and you can't get out now. Jesus says, count the cost. The thing that made the New Testament church so powerful is that every single one of those disciples knew the cost. That when they signed that dotted line, their life was no longer their own, but that it belonged to him. And so they lived every day for Jesus. Church, the church is stripped of its power today because the church is living life for itself. We're living life to build up our kingdom, our towers, our buildings, our sanctuaries. When Jesus says, I want you to build mine, the gospel of Jesus Christ will cost you everything. Did you hear that? I just keep saying it. I don't like hearing it. But the promises of the gospel more than make up for what you will lose. Because the gospel also comes with a promise. And this is what's incredible. Too many times, we as Christians act like the gospel ends on Easter. Right? The stone is rolled away, Jesus bursts forth in a little party hat, and it's over. Thus ends the gospel. Right? Wrong. Because see, the Easter, Easter, the empty tomb, is just the beginning. It's the beginning of the gospel, and the fact is, the gospel isn't finished yet. Because you and I are still here. And we are part of this gospel message. The power that the Holy Spirit has given us is part of this gospel message. Look at how Paul closes 1 Corinthians 15. This is in verses 42 to 44. He says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 
It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. We talked about this last week, but look at that promise. God takes our dishonor and buries it in the ground, and he raises us in his glory. Dude, you talk about an unfair trade, right? You guys ever growing up, you had the baseball cards, and you made like the worst trade in the world, and you went home, and your parents were like, nope, you go right back to Tommy's house, and you get your cards back, because that was dumb. That's what everybody's saying to God on a cosmic level right now. God, why would you do that? Why would you make that trade? Has anybody ever said that to God? Right? On my knees? Lord Jesus, why would you trade your glory for this? For this mess, Jesus? You know I'm still not going to get it right. And you're still willing to make that trade? Jesus takes our weakness puts it in the ground and raises us up in his strength. Paul says the first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Did you catch that? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Things that are perishable cannot inherit those that are imperishable. So why are we still fighting earthy? Why are we fighting the earth's ways? right? Why are we living the earth's ways when the invitation is to bury the earthy and to come up spiritual, to come up heavenly? Stop thinking earthly. Start thinking heavenly. Stop fighting earthly. Start fighting heavenly. Bear the image of heaven because, Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed. In a moment, the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. In a moment, you and I will be changed. Finally, we will be perfect as he is perfect. When we look at Jesus and we see his perfect glory, we will put on that perfection. We will put on that imperishable, just like him. But until that day, this doesn't mean that we have to sit around broken until then. It means that right now, the Holy Spirit is working in you to change you, to look more like Jesus. Every day as we surrender to him more and more, you can look more like Jesus. So start putting that on now. Start being clothed in Christ. Letting the Holy Spirit change you to look more like him. That is the promise as we walk in the Spirit. Continues, but when this, uh, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, 
Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? I got those backwards. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This is our song. This is the song that we will sing from here to eternity. Start singing it now. Do you see the promise here? Look at these promises. Glory, power, victory, but not for the earthly. Stop living like these promises are for right here. This is for the heavenly. Start living for that kingdom. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not learn it, live it. Let's sing. Where is your sting? And oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Sing it. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house connect, fill out the form, and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you, and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.